Well, thank you everybody for joining us. I'm Father Chris Alar here at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy. And it's an honor to be with you for your 76th class of seminary, which we have been doing since the coronavirus started back last year. And every Saturday, God bless you. We've missed a couple, but you've been joining us and we're taking you back to seminary teaching you our Catholic faith, things you may have missed as growing up. And remember, we can't love what we don't know, so we love God more and more when we know him more and more. And one of the biggest gifts is Our Lady. And today is First Saturday. So I was apologizing to the group in here. I just sprinted across the campus, so I'm still a little bit out of breath, but it shows me I got to get back in shape. That's what it actually shows. But God bless all of you. Thank you for joining us. Let's begin with a prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady, Mother of Mercy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I'm excited because we're continuing our series People have been writing to me, Father, how come you're not doing the Marian apparitions anymore? We do them on the first Saturdays. <clears throat> so we're not doing them every Saturday, but every first Saturday. Last week, we had some incredible stories. And today we're going to bring to you three. One, you certainly know, Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Uh, I talked a little bit about that in a talk a few months ago, but don't worry, this is new stuff. And secondly, have you ever heard of Guadalupe? Spain, that's what we're going to talk about today. Not Guadalupe, Mexico, but Guadalupe, Spain. And then we're going to try to finish up with Our Lady of Ransom, which I briefly touched on last week but couldn't get to. So God bless all of you. Now, if you look up on the screen, Brother Mark, on the title slide, look at all those dots and the places where Marian apparitions have been all over the world. We're just touching on some of these that are approved. Now, what type of apparitions are we going to be talking about in this series on these first Saturdays? Have Brother Mark go to the next slide. The types of apparitions that we're going to be talking about are one, we're still in this category, accepted tradition, meaning before the Vatican began their process of Marian... Uh, yeah, if we could silence our cell phones, please, too, that would be great. Thank you. So we're going to be looking at traditionally accepted. This is before the Vatican began their process of investigation. And some of these go back centuries. We go all the way back to the first century with Our Lady of the Pillar. So anyway, the second is the Vatican approved. I'll be talking about 16 of those. Then Bishop approved. I'll be talking about nine of those. And then there's unconfirmed ones that are in process, like Medjugorje. And then the fifth is the ones that are rejected, that have been, no, we'll touch some of those. Okay, now, next slide. This is the one I want to start with. Our Lady of Guadalupe, but not in Mexico. This is in Spain. Caceres, in Spain. It comes from the 1300s. Here's a picture of Our Lady, and it's very similar to Our Lady of Mexico. This is what we want to talk about today. It is the other Guadalupe, and they call it Spain's best-kept Catholic secret. 
It's like, whoa. All right, there's a small town in Spain called Guadalupe. It's only 2,000 people, and it's been a pilgrim destination for centuries. So we want to talk about this because I bet many of you have never heard of it. We always think of Guadalupe in Mexico. Well, listen to this. Despite the remarkable similarities between Spain and Mexico's Guadalupe, we rarely hear them mentioned together. Now, here's what's fascinating. John Paul II brought Our Lady of Guadalupe from Spain into the spotlight in 1982. Listen to this. He became not only the first pope to visit uh, Caceres in, in uh, Spain, but he said this. He made a surprising confession. Quote John Paul II. The great esteem I have for the Virgin of Guadalupe of Mexico is unquestionable. But I realize that her origins are here in Guadalupe of Spain. I should have come here first before going to Tepeyac, the basilica in Mexico, to better understand the Mexican devotion. So here we have Pope John Paul II saying, when we talk about Guadalupe, this is really the origin of it. And no Catholics know this. This is why it is our job here at the Marian Fathers to help show you the role <clears throat> that God uses Mary for. All right, sometime in the late 1200s, now this is where we're at in our Marian apparitions. We're here in the 1200s. There was a rancher. This is an amazing story. And he was searching for a lost cow. Kind of sounds like the scriptures, right? Looking for the lost sheep. And he was going along a river, and the river's name was Guadalupe. This means hidden river. And guess what the name Guadalupe is? It's Arabic. It's Arabic. And you notice Our Lady of the Guadalupe in the painting, she's standing on the crescent moon. She will be the key, I believe, many believe, to bring Islam to Jesus through her. So... This hidden river, this in the Arabic, means Kassiras. Now, my mom's maiden name is Kassira, and although we're Czech, they always believe they came from Spain. And I'm looking at this Kassiras, and our, my mom's last name is Kassira, and my mom said, we always believed we came from Spain. I'm like, yes, I think this is where we come from. <laughs> now, I'm making a big stretch here, but hey, give me some hope. Give me some hope. So this is, uh, this is what happened. He found the cow, but it was dead. And so when he found the cow, he made a cross-shaped incision. He was going to skin the hide to keep the hide of the cow. So he cuts an incision in the cow in a cross shape. Then the cow came back to life. So this cow comes back to life. And soon as it did, there was a woman standing there and identified herself as the mother of Jesus. She doesn't say that too often. Mary doesn't say that too often. And she immediately identified who she was. And she said, be not afraid. This rancher, Gil Cordero, she told him, be not afraid. I am the mother of God. So she uses that title. We can too. So the woman told him to return 
the cow to the herd because now the cow's back alive. And to tell the clerics and the priests what you have seen. What does that sound like? Doesn't that sound like the Bible where Jesus heals? And what does he say? You know, everybody who says, oh, the priest to Jesus, um, you know, after Jesus, there's no priests. We don't need priests. Really? Jesus, when he healed in the Bible, told the, the healed person what? Go and show the priests. What did he tell the leper? Go to the priest so that they can declare you clean. That's what happens when you go into the confessional. People say, where's the confessional in the scripture? You gotta look. I mean, in addition to Matthew 16, 19, Matthew 18, 18, John 20, 23, whose sins you forgive are forgiven. That's the big one. What about the fact that Jesus says, go to the priest so they can declare you clean? That's what you do when you go in the confessional. The priest gives you absolution. I absolve you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's declaring you clean. And so Mary follows that here. She tells this guy, take the cow back to the herd and go tell the priests what you have seen. Wow. Further, she instructed that the clerics should dig on the spot where the cow was formed, or formed, found. So this rancher, uh, this cordero, he brings the priest back. The clerics come back. And Mary tells him to dig on the spot where you found the cow. And so they start digging. And there where the virgin said they would find an image of her that was to remain in that place. And this is what happened. This is, Mary said, there will come a time in this place that a great church, a house, and a large town will be built. Let's look at our next picture. That's the picture of this beautiful shrine. If you're with us on, uh, here in person at the shrine, you can look on our YouTube page, Divine Mercy, or Facebook, you, Divine Mercy Official. That's an incredible place. Remember, give God our best, right? And so she said, a large church will be built here on this spot. And so this is what happened. Now, when Cordero arrived home that day, it gets better. So after they find the statue of Mary, this image of Mary, and she says it will, a church will be built here, he goes home and he finds his wife crying. And he's like, what happened? What, what's wrong? And she's crying. Their son just died. Now, this is amazing because in desperation, he started thinking of the woman that he saw when the cow came back to life. And so in desperation, he started to pray to this mysterious woman who he had met earlier, and the boy came back to life. So this is all documented. Well, anyway, how do we know, Father, you're just making up that fairy tales. Uh-uh. Why? Because a group of priests were already there because they were summoned when the boy died by the mom. So the priest had seen the boy dead. The priests were there. The mom had called them. My son has died. The priest came. The boy was dead. The priest saw it. And all of a sudden now, he's alive. And so this is what happened. His son was revived. And a group of priests that had seen this now believed. All the priests believed. So Codero told the story to the priests and decided to take them back again to where they found that cow. He's like, okay, there's something special here. And there 
they undug the two-foot statue of a woman made from cedar wood. Cedar wood's talked about in the Bible. The cedars of Lebanon. And so here's what they found. And from that point, the devotion to the Virgin Mary caught on and spread. So then... The, the devotion to Mary keeps up. Now, Spain at this time later was going through the Reconquista. What is that? That's the Christian military campaign to re-get back the Iberian Peninsula from Islam. Because the, the Moors, the Islamic Moors, had taken a huge chunk of Europe and they had taken the Iberian Peninsula. And so this, this um, Reconquista, this Christian military movement, was trying to get it back. Now, here's what happened. So while this is all going on, news of this apparition made it all the way to the Pope, who at that time was in Avignon in France. And even the Spanish royals, the king and the queen, were praying to Mary. Now, when the Spanish soldiers and missionaries arrived in the New World at the end of the 1400s, right, they brought their devotion. Do you know what devotion Christopher Columbus brought to the New World? Our Lady of Guadalupe of Spain. He brought it to the New World. So Christopher Columbus, after he came, landed in the Americas. Where was it? San Salvador or somewhere. And he was sailing back to Europe in 1493 now. And this was his, after his first trip to America. And his two remaining ships were separated in a dangerous storm on the ocean. So what does Columbus do? And here we're trying to eliminate this guy. We're trying to cancel him right out of existence. Ah, that's a topic for another day. So, so Columbus urged his men to ask Mary for deliverance to be able to save them and their ships. And so they started praying to who? Our Lady of Guadalupe of Spain. And so they were spared. And then Columbus ordered the crew when they got back to Europe. Columbus ordered the crew to go as an act of thanksgiving to the Guadalupe Shrine in Spain. So this whole tough crew, Columbus says, you're going back. You're going to that shrine. That's the picture of the shrine. It's where Columbus told the guys to go. We don't know this stuff. And we're just canceling Columbus. Do we know anything about this? Man. So anyway, less than 50 years later, in December of 1531, Mary appears to Juan Diego in Mexico. Right? She appears. Now, before that, she appeared outside of Mexico City, and the similarities are really striking. All right? Diego, like Cordero, was a peasant, right? A man of humble social standing. And when the Virgin gave him instructions, she gave him similar instructions to what she told Cordero. Report it to the church officials. What did Mary tell Juan Diego to do? Go to the bishop. What did I just tell you that she told Cordero, the guy with the cow, to do? Go to the priests. This is what Jesus did in scripture. And you don't think the Catholic priests mean anything today? They're, they're our lifeline, despite our brokenness. 
right? So she requested a church be built. Well, this is exactly what she said what happened in Spain. So here she's appearing in Mexico saying, I want a church built. That's exactly what she did in Spain. I want a church built. And she holded, why was this church to be built? To hold her image. In Mexico, it was to hold the famous Our Lady Guadalupe statue with the tilma. And in Guadalupe, it was to house the statue that they dug up out of the ground after Cordero discovered this. So skeptics will say, well, you know, the Mexican Guadalupe is myth because it was inspired by the Spanish, the Spaniards from Guadalupe. And so this was a ploy to convert the natives. It was all a ploy. Well, okay, to that, talk to Monsignor Eduardo Chavez. Chavez. He was the rector and co-founder of the Institute for Guadalupe Studies in Mexico City. And so he said that there's an abundance of historical evidence, I don't have time to go into it now, that parallels the Mexican and the Spanish Guadalupes, that they are both of supernatural origin. Neither are human origin. So he notes that the two Guadalupe stories are not the only cases of Mary asking her apparitions to be reported to church authorities. We never think about this. How many times when you talk about Mary and apparitions, have you said to your neighbors, you're talking, you know, I know you do this, right? You talk to your neighbors all about Mary and apparitions. And you say, do you realize that in many of them, Mary asked to report it to the priests? to the bishops. That tells you there's some important there. So anyway, this uh, Monsignor Eduardo, he basically notes that these, these are common. Similar instructions were given by Mary to report it to the church officials at Fatima, remember? At Lourdes and other places. So he said, it's not that the Mexican story was invented to correspond to the Spanish one. He said, the Virgin Mary, when it is really her is about the church. She is the mother of the church. And this was shown in Spain and separately in Mexico. When she sends Juan Diego to the bishop, she also told the peasant in Spain to go get the priests and the bishop. The two images, though people say, oh, well, it's just they were connected because the Spaniards wanna, wanted to influence the uh, natives. No, they were, the images are actually totally different. One's a statue, one's a painting, all right? Um, let's look at the, uh, let's look at the next slide. Brother Mark can show Our Lady of Guadalupe in Caceres, Spain. This is from 1326. All right. The Spanish one is one of Mary holding the child Jesus. But in the Mexican tilma, is Mary holding the baby Jesus? No, she's the pregnant virgin. All right. So, by revealing herself as Santa Maria de Guadalupe to Juan Diego's uncle, Mary wanted a name known to the Spaniards. This makes perfect sense. So the Spaniards who, who were settling Mexico, Mary tells Juan Diego's uncle that I am Santa Maria de Guadalupe. And that is basically a name that the Spaniards would understand. Mary does this. People say, well, geez, it's phony because Mary appears as an Aztec to the Indians and she appears as uh, an African-American or an African to Cabejo where she's blacked in, in, her, uh, in her texture of her skin and her ethnicity. That's by design. It's not by lie. It's so that she could relate to the local people. 
wow, we got to get this. We don't understand this. And so if the Spaniards didn't recognize it, they probably would have burned the image as pagan. So when Our Lady appeared to Juan Diego's uncle and said who she was of Guadalupe, that would be a name familiar to the Spaniards. It all connects. But the problem is we only hear about the Mexican apparition. We never hear about the Spanish one. And so like the Mexican Guadalupe, the Spanish one ultimately points to Christ, not Mary. This is to lead us to Jesus. So to the Spaniards, she appeared as a Spaniard at Guadalupe in, Mex in Spain. To the Aztecs, she appeared as an Aztec in the, in the uh, country of Mexico. To Cabejo, she appeared as an African. So it makes perfect sense. And so this is very powerful. So I, I know I'm running behind, but I want to jump into the next big one. Our Lady of Mount Carmel. You've probably heard of this one. And the brown scapular. We're going to tell you all about the brown scapular right now. And we're going to add from my previous talk a couple months ago. So Brother Mark shows the next slide. This is Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Feast day, July 16th. Now, this is probably one of the most well-known of all devotions and one of the most popular, right? Because of the brown scapular. And the brown scapular is also the best known of the scapulars. Although we're going to tell you about some more. Personally, I love the green scapular. I talked about that a few weeks ago. But anyway, according to tradition, tradition, Mary appeared to St. Simon's Stock near Cambridge, England in 1251. He was almost 100 years old. All right, people don't realize that. Now, let's look at the next slide. She presented him with the scapular, and what did she say? Take, beloved son, this scapular, and you can read it right on your screen. Take, beloved son, this scapular of thy order as a badge of my confraternity and for thee and all Carmelites a special sign of grace. Whoever dies in this garment will not suffer everlasting fire. It is the sign of salvation, a safeguard in dangers, a pledge of peace and of the covenant." Now, powerful words. Why? Those who wear it, she's basically promising, will not face hell and will be taken to heaven. Now, tradition adds on the first Saturday after you die. What's that called? Sabbatine privilege. All right. So this was the tradition. But I'm going to get, I'm going to explore this here. Now, please note, because I know I got some really upset letters when I've done talks on Our Lady of Mount Carmel before, of people saying it is not true and you're, you're going by superstition. Okay, note, please, the church does not teach, let me repeat, the church does not teach that wearing a scapular is a guaranteed ticket to heaven. Uh-uh. Rather, we must strive to be in a state of grace, the church says, implore our Lord's forgiveness and trust in the maternal aid of our blessed mother. These are all positive acts of a person who will wear the scapular sincerely. The key to me is the word sincerely. I'm wearing a scapular right now, but I have to wear it sincerely, meaning follow in the discipleship of Mary. Now, Simon Stock, let's talk about him a little bit. He left home at age 12 to live in the forest as a hermit. This is St. Simon Stock. 
And following the customs of the earlier monks, he basically lived on fruit, water, um, spent his time in prayer meditation. But after two decades now, all right, of solitary life in the wilderness, he returned to the uh, society to acquire an education in theology and to become a priest. Now, afterwards, after he became a priest, he returned to his hermitage, and he was there until the year 1212. Then he had a calling to join the Carmelite order, all right, which had only recently come into England by the Crusaders. Because remember, Carmel started in the Holy Land. And so now it just gets there in the 13th century to England, and he finds out about it. Now, here's what's fascinating. We know we have some lay Carmelites with us and some third order Carmelites. But the origins of Carmelites is very mysterious, all right? By some accounts, they actually go back to the time before Christ. What? Yeah. They may be the single most ancient order of religious in the Catholic Church that goes to before Christ? Father, you're talking crazy. No, listen. Some accounts say that they go back to before Christ, originating in the ministry of the prophet Elijah. That's why it's Mount Carmel, Mount Carmel, where Elijah was, right? And so basically, this is what draws in St. Simon Stock. So he left his hermitage and he joined the order that came with two crusaders, as I said, that returned from the Holy Land after the English Crusades. Now, Later, much later in life, St. Simon Stock received a revelation from Mary about the brown scapula. Now, this poor guy's like 95 years old here. Now, let's look at the next slide. Here's a beautiful painting of what's going on. And Chronicle basically states this, quote, To him appeared the Blessed Virgin Mary. Now, look at this picture as I'm reading this. Because this picture is a beautiful representation of this account. To him appeared the Blessed Virgin Mary with a multitude of angels holding the scapular of the order of her blessed hands and saying, this will be a privilege for you and for all Carmelites that he who dies in this will not suffer eternal fire. That's, that's the gift. Now, it involves the wearing of an adapted version of the garment, along with certain spiritual commitments by lay Catholics, as well as priests and religious. Now, let's go to our next slide. Here is a picture, and I'm going to try to show this to the crowd that is here, if they can see it, because it's, it's on the screen for you guys. I don't know if you can see it, but that little brown strip that you see in a Carmelite that goes across the chest, over the shoulders, and down the back, that's a true scapular, and it was made out of wool. So Brother Mark's going to show that to you, and that is what a scapular is. Now, however, all right, so this is basically what we're seeing. The scapular was this broad band of cloth over the shoulders, right? Went down the front, and the back is an apron. It's really like an apron. And it was worn as part of the religious habit by a number, number of orders of monks and religious and friars. Now, let's have Brother Mark show the next slide, because this is the current example of a um, scapular. And I wear 
a small one with plastic. So when you get exercising or something, but the wool inside it is wool. Okay. And so basically, um, this is basically adapted for use by the laity. And it became two small little panels of brown cloth, as Brother Mark shows you on the screen, joined by two strings and worn over the shoulders. Now, here was the problem. Ah, misinterpretation of Vatican II. After Vatican II, the scapular devotion suffered a crisis of rejection, just like the rosary. Not because Vatican II taught that. That's how it was misinterpreted. Now, as it was said, Simon Stock was a person that the tradition tells us Mary appeared to her. Now after Vatican II, they said Simon Stock never existed. There's no proof of that. Well, let's talk about that. So even if he never existed, and this is the faith that was brought out can still be of benefit, but here's what Vatican II people after Vatican II misinterpreted. They said basically... We have no definitive proof that Simon Stock ever existed, so we must remove the feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel and the scapular. Now, there was an effort by a liturgical committee. This was the problems of Vatican II, not because Vatican II taught this, but because people misinterpreted it. So there was an effort by this liturgical committee to expunge Our Lady of Mount Carmel from the liturgical calendar. But God bless the Latino bishops. They went into an uproar. So the Latin American bishops protested so vehemently that the feast was kept. Praise be to God. And so on the condition, though, they had to settle the condition that nothing was to be mentioned about the scapular. So they had to give and take here. Problematic in my book. But a lot of research then happened after that. And this priest named Father Nilo shows historical evidence that St. Simon Stock did exist. St. Simon Stock's feast day was then fully restored by the Congregation for Divine Worship in 1979. Now, what about the historicity of Simon Stock's vision of Mary? What about that? So even if we proved he existed, now we got the challenge of saying, did he really have an apparition of Mary to get the scapular? Now that's more challenging. Why? Because the earliest testimony comes not until the end of the 1300s, over 100 years later after he died. So basically we can take one of two positions. All right? First, from a scholar's historical point of view, we can admit that there's a lack of evidence that would demonstrate irrefutably the truth of the history of this apparition. At the same time, you got to keep in mind, however, there is no evidence that proves it false. So just because something can't be proven true doesn't mean it's false. This is what I always point out about the Bible. Just because the church teaches something that's not in the Bible, like um, human cloning. Where's human cloning in the Bible? It's not. Well, then therefore, there's nothing against it. Do you really think that just because human cloning is not in the Bible, that that is just totally acceptable? No. It would be ridiculous for us to think that. Just because something is not in the Bible doesn't mean it's not true. 
And so while there is not a definitive historical evidence of the apparition of Mary St. Simon Sock, we have nothing to refute it that it didn't happen. This is where we rely on tradition. Tradition is important. All right, now, okay. Second, we can take this position, that it's tradition of the church. We shouldn't oppose those who say that for centuries the Carmelite order was right in holding that Mary appeared to St. Simon Stock and promised many graces through the scapular. Why would we want to call a bunch of monks liars? It doesn't make sense. Another point is that in the minds of many, now here's where I bet you and I fall into, devotion to the scapular is the same as devotion to Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Hmm. This is understandable, but in reality, the two are distinct in theory and ought to be distinct in practice. What do I mean by this? The scapular is the means. The devotion to Mary, Our Lady of Mount Carmel, is the end. You see the difference? Now, the devotion is the end towards which the scapular leads you. So it's not just that you're wearing a scapular that the Catholics say you're going to get to heaven. If you have no devotion to your faith, it's kind of like I can give you directions to get to the church. That's like the scapular. But if you don't actually go to the church those graces of me giving you directions aren't going to do you any good. And that's where people get confused. All right. From the official teaching of the church, we can infer that Carmel is one of the most highly recommended Marian devotions. The scapular is just a sign of that. All right. Thus, a wedding ring. You're married here. You have a spouse. You have a wedding ring, right? What is that? The wedding ring is a sign of a pledge of mutual love and enduring fidelity between spouses. What is the wedding ring? The wedding ring is a sign of that. Does that mean that the wedding ring is going to guarantee fidelity and faithfulness between spouses? No, it's the same with the scapular. The scapular is a sign of complete devotion to God through Mary. It doesn't guarantee that you're going to get to heaven just because you wear it. You've got to live it. You've got to live it. And so the scapular, this is a Marian habit or a garment. You're, you're, you're engrossing yourself in being like Mary, a disciple of Jesus. Remember, it all leads to Jesus. So like a wedding ring is a sign and a pledge, a scapular is a sign and a pledge, a sign of belonging to Mary and a pledge of her motherly protection, not only in this life, but after death. What you're saying is, Mary, I give myself to you. Be my protectress. Intercede for me to your son. So the scapular won't save you, but it is a sign of the devotion to God through Mary that will save you. It's kind of like the marriage. The marriage is faithfulness, fidelity, and the ring is a sign of that. If I'm living a devotion to Mary and, she want, and I want her to take me to Jesus, the scapular is a sign of that. That's what Mary meant by it'll bring you eternal life. 
that you live what that scapular represents. Does that make sense? So St. Simon Stock, he died in France at 100 years old in 1265. A lot's very old at that time. And he's been publicly venerated since the 15th century. This is powerful stuff. So what is the church position? Okay, the church at various times in history has clarified the meaning, um, has clarified that and defended and confirmed this whole movement and Marian apparition. Now, no mention is made of the vision of St. Simon Stock by the church or that of Pope John Paul XXII in relation to the Sabbatine privilege, all right? which promises that one will be released from purgatory on the Saturday after death. The church has never officially said that is absolutely true, but you're free to believe it because it's in line with our faith. Nonetheless, the Carmelites have been authorized to freely preach to the faithful that they can piously believe in the intercession merits of the Blessed Virgin Mary, that she will help them even after their death, especially on Saturday, the day of the week we honor her, dedicated to her. If they have died in the grace of God and have devoutly worn the scapular, notice both of those, then they have heaven. But no mention is made of the first Saturday after their death, but it's fitting. All right? In someday, an historian, if, if someday a historian were to prove beyond any reasonable doubt that there are no grounds that Mary ever appeared to St. Simon Stock or a scapular was given, the scapular devotion would still be of value. Why? Because the church, the church's esteem of it as a sacramental, a sign of her appreciation in this meaning of the good that has come through its pious use of the scapular on part of the faithful would be justified. That's all we need. And so finally, St. John of the Cross teaches that we ought to not waste a lot of time and energy trying to discern whether or not a vision is authentic. Did you hear that? That's very interesting. Saint, listen to this again. St. John of the Cross teaches that we ought not waste a lot of time and energy trying to discern whether or not a vision is authentic, as long as the message coming from it is authentic. But that we accept and follow it only insofar as the message is in accord with the Gospels and with what has already been revealed by Jesus Christ. That's important. This is why some people get all bent out of shape over some of these apparitions that are not yet approved. Well, as long as the message is coming from them is con concurrent with the Gospels, even if they do prove Mary didn't actually appear there, the message is still valid. We can think of it as a sign of Mary's quiet presence. What? The scapular. Why? Because the scapular is a silent devotion. You don't do anything. You just wear it. There are no prayers to be said. It reminds us of a contemplative aspect of Christian life. Mary is the church's greatest contemplative. And in her silence, she heard many extraordinary words spoken to her by our Lord in silence. And so basically what you're doing when you wear the scapular is it's a silent presence of Mary with you in your journey. 
And I was going to show a video of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, but I'm running out of time. Hopefully I can get that posted up online. You can see that. But let's quickly jump into, if Brother Mark can skip ahead two slides, to Our Lady of Ransom. Our Lady of Ransom. Now I started to touch on this the other day because from this comes two critically important things that I love. Our Lady of Mercy and the White Scapular. Wow, this is awesome. This also happened in Spain around the same time in the 1200s. Feast day is September 24th. Now, the story begins of Our Lady of Ransom begins with our next slide, St. Peter Nolasco, who was born in 1189. Here's a picture of him, all right? At the age of 25, he took a vow of chastity and gave over all of his belongings to the church. Now, after making a pilgrimage to Our Lady of Montserrat, he went to Barcelona to live in virtue. Now, he started an order, and I'm going to tell you why I think this is critically important right now. Hang with us. I'm, I'm only going to spend five more minutes on this, and then we're going to start the devotions. But he started an order for the redemption of captives seized by the Islam Moors on the seas and in Spain by the pirates. Now, they were being treated cruelly. They were being tormented in prisons to make them deny their Christian faith. So this St. Peter Nolasco spoke of it to the king of Aragon, James I, who had already asked for his prayers when he sent out his armies to fight the Moors, the Islamic Moors. And he attributed the victories to those prayers. Now, listen to this. Christians of Europe were praying intensely to obtain from God a help against these enslavements that the Islamic were taking these Christian slaves. So on August the 1st, 1218, Mary appeared to St. Peter Nolasco, to also to his confessor, St. Uh, uh, Raymond of Penafort, and to the king we just mentioned, St. of Aragon, James the 1st. Now, through them, she would establish a work of perfect charity, the redemption of captives. Now, listen to this. Mary said she desired an established religious order called the Mercedarians. This was chosen so they could bear the name of her mercy, the Mercedarians. Now, members would deliver Christian captives pay ransom for them, and even offer themselves, if necessary, to free these slaves. Now, the order was approved by Pope Gregory IX under the name of Our Lady of Mercy. Now, its growth increased as the charity and the piety was observed and they were often followed by Our Lady, often followed Our Lady's directives to give themselves up voluntarily to free other slaves. Can you imagine? Can you think? I think that's almost more charitable than even giving your life. Because you are giving yourself into slavery and torture to free these other people. So now Pope Leo XIII encouraged this by making this feast proper to all the dioceses of England with a focus 
on how Our Lady ransoms us from slavery of our sins and brings us to the grace of conversion. Okay, so here you have these Mercedarian priests ransoming them themselves to free the slaves of Islam. And he's saying, Leo Thirteenth is saying, notice that this is what Mary does. She offers herself to ransom you from the slavery of sin. Now, Jesus did that ultimately, but Mary is giving herself, just like the Mercedarian priest. They didn't do what Jesus did, but they did it in imitation. Mary's doing it in imitation. Now, the Blessed Virgin Mary, look at the next picture. Here's the current picture of a Mercedarian. You've probably seen these habits. They're white with the blue and red cross. And Our Lady said, find for me other men like yourself, an army of brave, generous, unselfish men, and send them into the lands where the children of the faith are suffering. That's what we Marians do. That's why we're united with this movement of Our Lady of Mercy, because we go where the need is greatest. And our seminarians at our EWTN show have been talking about this. Go where the need is greatest. So look at our final slide. The description of the virgin. Look at that picture. Is she not beautiful? Listen to the description. And Mark's gonna, Brother Mark's going to hold that picture. She is dressed all in white over her long tunic. She wears a scapular with the shield of the order imprinted breast high. See that shield? The Mercedarians. A cloak covers her shoulders and her long hair is veiled by a fine lace mantilla. Some images have her standing with the child in her arms or carrying two bags of coins for use in ransoming Christians imprisoned by Islam. In yet others, he is shown with her arms extending showing a royal scepter in her right hand and in the left, some open chains, a symbol of liberation. Now, again, I'm going to have to skip this video because I'm out of time, but I'll finish this. Why did I want to pick this devotion? Why do I personally feel this might be the most important devotion that we have right now in terms of a secular sense, in terms of practical sense? All right, because Mary said, my son, the redeemer of the world, who came to give liberty to the captive, has much people bound in captivity and wishes this order to be established to free them. You can unite with them through Our Lady, Mother of Mercy, through the Marian Fathers, because this is what we do. We go where the need is greatest, and we turn to Our Lady of Mercy. Now, why do I think this? Why do I believe this? Because today, I think it most applies to the sex trade. I personally, next to abortion, think that the enslavement of young women in the sex trade is the most diabolical, most evil thing man can possibly do. I have absolutely no concept in my mind of who can get pleasure from a little 10-year-old girl screaming and crying to not hurt her. This is happening all over the world. And I believe this devotion is a modern day call for us to go to Mary and ask for captives that these little girls, boys too, be freed. And on top of that, not just the enslavement in, in the sex trade, but our enslavement to sin. This is critically important. This is why I feel that today this applies to Christian slaves 
there are Christian slaves being held in foreign lands, but also to the sex trade. And, and this is the mercy to free them. Please look at these devotions. Mary isn't wasting her time. Heaven isn't wasting their time. Heaven is giving us these devotions for a purpose. And so we're going to finish now. And um, I, I'm only going to show one of the last three slides. Uh, put, if Brother Mark can put up micprayers.org. Please, if you're not a Marian helper yet, join us. It doesn't cost anything. It doesn't matter if you ever donate. Just go to micprayers.org, become a Marian helper, and share in the graces that we too can pray together for the freeing of slaves, Christian slaves in foreign lands, the end of the sex trade, and other things that these Marian apparitions are telling us. God bless you for being with us in this important day, this first Saturday. And right now, in two minutes, I'm going to go vest. Um, Brother uh, Stephen's going to sing to be able to offer us just a time of reflection and to be able to offer us an opportunity to engage in these devotions of the first Saturday. And first Saturday devotions, to remind you, it's what Our Lady asked us to do to make reparation to her immaculate heart for the sins and ingratitude of the blasphemies against it. And so right now we are going to fulfill those requests of first Saturday. What are they? One, to go to confession. We're going to lead you through an act of contrition. Two, that we go to Holy Communion. If you can't, we're going to lead you through a spiritual communion. Three, we're going to pray the rosary. That's what Our Lady said. And four, we're going to meditate for 15 minutes on the mysteries of that rosary. When you leave here today, <laughs> you are fully going to have fulfilled what Mary said we must do at Fatima. So stay with us. I'll be back. Brother Alex is going to set up for us. Uh, we're going to be starting here in just two, three minutes. And stay with us because these devotions, this first Saturday, is what Our Lady is asking us to do. God bless you. Oh, and, and, and thank you for joining us. And please keep praying. Keep praying through the messages of these Marian devotions. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And Brother Mark is now going to go black because we have to switch over. He's going to cut this broadcast off, and then we will start a new live stream with the devotions. Thank you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.